Hey everyone, how's it going? Uh, James here. We are in a very unfortunate position this week um, in that the episode that we recorded, uh, pretty much we recorded on the day that some pretty horrific news broke in the Doctor Who um, space. And so we were quite off for this episode. It, it, if it sounds a bit odd, that's that's where that energy is coming from. Um, unfortunately, it, it does seem like there has been some pretty substantial allegations made against Doctor Who star Noel Clark uh, regarding um, sexual assault and bullying and just general mistreatment of women um, over, over quite a long period of time. Um, and alongside that news, uh, some old John Barrowman stuff has also resurfaced. Um, it, it seems as though, while not sexual assault, uh, Barrowman was um, incredibly inappropriate on set while filming Doctor Who. Uh, and it's difficult for us because we obviously we talk about Doctor Who every every two weeks here. Let's you know how much we love it. Uh, we know how much you love it, and so this kind of news is really difficult to pass. Um, but as always, definitively, we believe the women that have come forward. Um, these allegations should be taken incredibly seriously. And moving forward in our show, uh, we are going to try our best to not uh, discuss Barrowman or Clark all that much. Um, not as it regards to any developments here. This is obviously an ongoing story. And if we think that there is something that needs to be brought up, we will bring it up. Um, but we will not be referencing sort of their performances or anything like that. If we're going to talk about Mickey, we're going to talk about Jack. We'll talk about the characters, uh, but we will not be uh, bringing up the, these men on the show um, as much as humanly possible because this kind of behavior is absolutely deplorable, uh, especially for a show that has such a progressive face as Doctor Who does. Um, and we hope that you guys understand here that like we are, <laughs> we try to be quite a progressive show. Uh, and yeah, it, it's heartbreaking. It's absolutely horrible. And we stand with and believe any victims that have come forward. Um, with that said, we're just going to jump straight into our conversation about this finale two-parter. Uh, again, it's a little bit messy because it was a messy day for us, um, but I hope you enjoy and uh, we'll see you on the other side. Thanks. Sound of Drums and Last of the Time Lords are episodes 12 and 13, respectively, of series 3 of the Doctor Who Revival. They were directed by Colin Teague and written by showrunner Russell T. Davies. Uh, I apologise in advance, this is going to be a, a huge plot dump, um, <laughs> but there is so much going on in this two-parter that we need to establish a, a fair bit of it right now. So, after teleporting back to modern London from the end of the universe, the Doctor, Martha and Jack discover that the enigmatic Harold Saxon, whose rise to political power has been a subtle point this season, is actually the master. Now that he has gained control over the UK through a use of a hypnotic waves sent through a satellite network, the master gets to work creating a paradox machine out of the TARDIS that he stole from the Doctor at the end of Utopia. This machine will allow the Toclophane to arrive on Earth. Meanwhile, Martha's family is arrested by the Pope and the gang must go on the run to survive and bond over the Doctor's memories of his old friend from Gallifrey. On the eve of the 
Coclophane's arrival, the master takes control of a military aircraft, killing the President of the United States and announcing to the world that the end times are here. The Toclophane arrive and begin to immediately slaughter humanity as Martha teleports herself to safety and the Doctor is rapidly aged into an old ass man by the same tech that we saw in the Lazarus experiment. Part 2. We flash forward a year and learn that Martha has been travelling the globe to spread the good word of the Doctor, a name that she encourages all of humanity to think at a single moment in time in the future. That moment is a designated launch date for the Master's new fleet of rockets, which are meant to carry the Toclophane into the stars to murder everyone. As the countdown begins, Martha learns that the Tocos are actually the last of humankind from Utopia, who the Master has manipulated into being cyborg killing machines. They look like little round robots with like, I don't know, scissor hands, it's weird. <clears throat> Martha is captured by the Master and brought aboard the airship where she finds the Doctor, now aged beyond recognition, and her family still very much alive. The countdown ensues, but before the plan can go ahead, humanity unites in thinking, Doctor, and the Doctor reveals that he has spent the year tapping into the satellite network and uses humanity's collective belief in him to get superpowers and disarm the Master. Just as all begins to return to normal, the Master's abused companion, Lucy, shoots him and he dies in the Doctor's arms, refusing to regenerate simply out of spite. The Doctor returns Martha home, who finally asserts herself, telling the Doctor she is nobody's second choice, and that one day when she calls him, he had better come back to visit. The Doctor leaves, and then BAM! The Titanic crashes into the TARDIS. Whoa! <laughs> Excuse the tone, but I just had to read all of that, and in reading all of that, I was like, what the fuck is this two-parter? <laughs> um, I just... you. I just realised then that you, like, only mentioned Lucy at the very, very end when well, she died. Well, it's because she was only relevant at the very end. It's... No, you... I, it, exactly. Look, okay, listener. This story is... Oh, she messy. <laughs> yeah, this is, um... This is... Like, I know I say this a lot on the show, but this is a lot. It's... It's a lot, and it's so... Like, I didn't envy you, James, having to write this plot synopsis out because, like, there is just such whiplash watching this story uh, that trying to summarise it in a neat plot synopsis is, like... It feels like it shouldn't be this impossible, but it is. Mm. Yeah, it's... um, <clears throat> It's a particularly unfocused story that is also hugely ambitious um and oddly inept can you yeah can you explain what you mean by like inept because like arguably this is what like the third season right it's the third season finale and this is the point where this production team should be on the top of their game and should be like we know exactly what we want to do we know exactly what to do we're just gonna bang out another classic Doctor Who finale, and yet this happened. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, and and yet we get this two-parter. Um, mm. <clears throat> I, I I think it's it's clumsiness to me lies primarily, like you said, in the tonal shifts and the script work. Um, because I think generally, like it it looks good. Um, I think it's well acted. Um, I just think that it is trying to do so so very much with. <clears throat> with, you know, 45 minutes either, either side of the break. Um, and it has to cram a huge amount of not just plot, but also exposition and character arcs wrapping up. Uh, it's, it is 
too much. I, I, I said to you the first time I watched it that I felt as if I was watching what should have been a full season of Doctor Who play out over two episodes. Hmm. Um, the idea of the Master rising to uh, power and creating a totalitarian apocalyptic state of the world is... Uh, it's more than two episodes, especially when you factor Mm. in, you know, Martha's arc finally coming to an end, uh, the utopia stuff wrapping up. Jack is also technically here. It's, um, it's just too much. And we know RTD can do a good political thriller slash satire, um, over five episodes. So yeah. And that's afforded the space of five episodes. So like all of those ideas in Torchwood, children of earth, you know, there's a lot of stuff happening in that story too, but it's given that space, like you say. And you're right. This, I think one of the, yeah. So one of the things I noted rewatching this story was how, and I don't mean this as a comparison to any of these stories, but like how much it reminded me of Moffat's two-parters when we get to his era, because they're often characterized by like being two separate stories jammed into one story kind of thing. Um, yeah. and this is what, this is a very early precursor of that kind of thing, like ambitiously. So, and that's something I don't want to forget is that this is still a very ambitious story and it does still hold a lot of, a lot of promise, uh, mm. for how, what kind of story we could have gotten, uh, especially because of the significance of the main villain, uh, in terms of the show's history at this point, being present here now. Um, but it's just, it's, it's, it's such a misfire and such. It, it is. Yeah. I, I think it's ambition is, is a good place to start because um, like uh, ambition isn't inherently a good thing when it comes to writing, <laughs> you know? Um, like, I think it's good to have a goal in mind. And I think it's good to like stretch yourself and to try new things. Um, but, uh, I, I don't think either of us are comfortable letting this one slide on its potential merits. And I feel like a lot of the critical mm. discourse around these two episodes is based around that because, you know, when you break it down to its component parts, each one of them could have been a really fantastic finale in its own right. Um, but it takes a good writer to also know their, not their limits, but to edit themselves. You know, it, it takes a team to mm-hmm. maybe look at something like this script and be like, this is too much. This is not working. We're not giving anything enough time to actually work. I mean, the fact that, like I, like I said, we didn't have to mention Lucy until the very last paragraph of that plot description is... Uh, it's just indicative of the entire problem. It is. And it's something that you and I have said before is that this is a story where you could take one of its spo- one of its two episodes and expand it into a full story. And that would be great. Mm-hmm. You know, that would be may- maybe just as, um, uh, maybe it'd have just as many issues because there are a lot of uh, technical issues with this story as well. Um, and choices made, but yeah, like the idea of a, the, so for instance, Jack and, uh, and Martha and the doctor, they beam back from the end of the universe. We'll talk about that. Um, and find themselves in a dystopia. Amazing. How cool would that be as a finale? Or they mm. come back and they find themselves in the master's political landscape and they have to figure out how to 
reveal him him to the world. Like both of those are equally valid stories and trying to do them both at the same time is someone should have, <laughs> like you said, someone should have noted that and been like, what are you doing? Yeah. Yeah, exactly. I mean, I think them teleporting back into London, I mean, it's the beginning of the episode. It's a good place for us to start here. It immediately, uh, it just says, oh, all that tension that we had at the end of Utopia. Like you, mm. you said last week, you know, it was the first one of these that we'd done where the plot description ends on a cliffhanger. And then you start the next episode and it's just like, pop, they're back. They're safe. Don't worry about it. Um, and so, so you're already lazy. off on exactly like it's lazy and you start off on the wrong foot already because all of that like hype and tension that you had going back into you know what what you think is going to follow on from this you're just like oh okay i guess this is just an entirely different thing now um and so it starts with former momentum being stopped and then it has to rebuild that momentum again um and so um you build up to the point Mm. where you know you've got the master essentially ending the planet within 45 minutes and it's just it just doesn't work (laughs) and it's constantly doing that as well it's constantly cutting itself off at the knees because it finds a new direction to to run into um Mm. that first episode especially which i think is so frustrating as a viewer to have gone through this whole season of um of martha's journey of you know finding jack again uh of the doctor not being alone and so you these are like very clear very identifiable things that you that you as a maker should know the audience care about and should be focusing your attention on and so the choice to constantly be switching course through that first episode uh initially is such an odd one because there are like so many obvious threads that needed more attention and more love in this story. The Doctor and the Masters being an extremely crucial one that is just not capitalized on in any significant, I think, way. Yeah, I I agree. There's a scene where... um uh, we're going to have to silo the Martha conversation into its own conversation because it's just too much. Um, yeah. But specifically there's a, a Martha scene and immediately following that, there's a moment where um, the doctor and <clears throat> the master finally get to talk to each other for the first time in their new, like younger bodies and whatnot. And it's happening over the phone and it is electric. Like when this, when this story focuses in on these two, it becomes something like really special uh, because these actors have a huge amount of chemistry. Um, RTD's writing in that dialogue in particular uh, really crackles. Like, you know, he gets on the phone and he's like, you know, doctor, like master. And his master's first line to him is like, oh, I love it when you use my name. It's like, you are, there's, there's so Mm. much queer coding in this and not even just necessarily queer coding, but just like raw tension between these two people and it's not outright adversarial tension either um there you can tell that there's a huge amount of history and affection flowing between these two people um because the doctor a lot of his motivation over this two-parter is to um, reform and save his friend and the master is essentially uh like freshly woken from a really bad nap and quite cranky with the world this is kind of his his vibe um and so I see the episode pull out a scene like that where I, I'm just glued to it. And before too long, I think you get a couple of minutes of like quiet dialogue exchange where you feel like it's finally coming to life. And then it's just straight back into like another action set piece where it's like, oh, now David Tennant has to run down a corridor with his, his uh, you know, coat billowing in the wind behind him. It's just, mm. it's so antsy to move on to its next big idea uh, that it doesn't do any of them justice. 
And it's very content, I think, to skirt up to the edge of brilliance and then shy away from it in favour of just falling back on very easy, familiar tropes. And the Doctor and the Master, I think, both fall into very uh, simplistic uh, character tropes here with the saint and the crazy devil kind of thing. Yeah. Um, not yeah. that they're like purely defined tropes, but like, you, you know what I mean? I think that's one of the things we said last week as well about like John Sims uh, portrayal of the master here is it is never apart from a few very scant moments. Um, probably one, I think per episode that I can think of off the top of my head where he's not just at base level. I'm, manic or I'm trying to think of a word that's not crazy. Um, <laughs> uh, <clears throat> yeah, no, I understand because we mentioned this last week, but like crazy is not a word that we should be using here. Um, but, uh, it's, um, it is difficult to describe the characterization that the show goes for with John Sims master without calling that word to mind immediately because they literally use it in the show. Like it's, his mm. sporadic and wild nature is um, something they lean on for equal parts comedy and horror. It, it's really odd. Um, and again, speaks to the tonal dissonance of this episode. Um, yeah, absolutely. I think, yeah, the first, what's the first instance where he, the master goes into the cabinet after winning the election and he, he just has, it's a lot of it is literally just a showcase for John Sim to be like, I'm mad. Um, And in that scene as well, there's the minister that's like choking on the gas in this cabinet room. And he's like, you've gone insane. And like, that just is the template for every single master scene that follows it Uh, is. It is. Like the master popping up and being like, I'm weird. And <laughs> somebody being I'm like... I'm the Joker. Like, it's a Joker-fied oh, master before Joker-fied was a thing. Truly. Actually, that is such a salient point. You're absolutely right. Yeah. Um, that, that, and that scene is particularly frustrating as well because the beginning of that scene, um, you know, he gets elected to power. It's his first cabinet meeting. And he goes in there and, like, he's got all these, like, important documents. Oh, and Tish is there for some fucking reason. Oh. We'll get to that. Um, <laughs> and... He throws all the documents in the air and he's like, down to business, you know? And they're all like, oh, yes, very funny, sir, you know? Um, and then he, he has, like, this kind of exchange with them where he is very serious and very dark. And you're like, oh, this is interesting. Hello. You know, and he's calling them all, like, you know, cowards for, like, switching teams. You know, it's it's very much that whole, like, uh, RTD, uh, quote-unquote, criticism of the establishment, right? And, like, I was, I was into it in that moment. Um and then all of a sudden, he puts on a gas mask and he's like Jack Nicholson's Joker, like gassing people in a room, like, yeah. And the acting is fine, I think. I think John Sims is okay. Well, like, there's that, that iconic shot of him with the gas mask on, with the gas in the room, and he's holding his thumbs up and he's got that manic glee in his eye. I think it's fun. I just don't think it even matches with what's 30 seconds before it in this episode. Um, And Mm. I feel like a common point that we're going to keep coming back to across our discussion of this two-parter is that it really just fails to stick with any single tone. It does. You're right. Um, And that is obvious, I think, in... And this isn't to say that you can't change your tone and style and drama is 
is built on that. It's built on set pieces and then rise and the rise and fall, right? Of yeah, of course. Now's an action scene. Now's a quiet scene. Now's, and the episode is doing the exact same thing. It's just that each of those beats is followed by a scrapping away of what's been and a new thing being swept into the story. Um, and the other thing that feels quite frustrating about this, that first episode especially, is just like how nothing seems to matter beyond just getting to that ending. Yeah. Um, you know. Yeah, the, the, the Toclophane arrival is clearly where, like, the, the bread and butter of this episode is. Mm. Um, and it really and does snap into focus. I, I just, I do oh, it does. enjoy the end of yeah. that episode a lot. Yeah, absolutely. The last, like, what, five to ten minutes of um, Sound of Drums is probably the highlight of this two-parter mm. uh, because it is actually one of those rare times where it does marry its more uh, absurd tone with the seriousness of what's actually happening here um you know we put it at the top of this episode we talked about it last week as well but like the the song drop of um the road traders right is is one of those like just so you know mid 2000s kind of stylistic choices and then you've got lucy in the background like awkwardly white girl dancing as these like <laughs> little like psychotic like balls of murder descend from the sky and like the sky literally opens up it's so much fun and it's it doesn't you know do anything to uh let the drama out of the room either like it, it really does marry the all those elements uh again it's just either side of that you get either super serious or it's not even goofy it, it's just boring it's it's, it's I, i'm yeah it's just madness and madness yeah. is not dramatic and madness isn't interesting because it is just a state of like agitation that mm. is that is uncomfortable it's like i don't mean uncomfortable in the sense that we don't want to talk about like it but in the comfortable like why would i keep watching something happen where there are no stakes because like anything could just change at any minute for no mm. reason you know, um, and I think that's yeah. one of the the main problems with this story is that like there is actually a clear, interesting narrative which is sort of there, which is the struggle between the master and the doctor and the the battle for the master soul, for lack of a better word, and then his rejection of that. But. <sighs> It's not, it's also not there. I, sorry. Yes. You were about to say something and I interrupted you. No, no, you're fine. It's just, uh, I always feel like when, when we have to discuss an episode that we are, you know, this kind of confused by, uh, the first opening, like half hour of our show is always a little bit like, <laughs> you know, <laughs> like it ends up feeling like word vomit because we genuinely don't know where to start with something like this two-parter. Um, and I, I just look at, like, okay, if we start with, we've talked about John Sims' master mm. and sort of the the performance choices that are being made there. Um, I think the, I, I don't want to get straight to Martha because I feel like she's going to take up like a huge amount of this conversation. Um, but I think she's the only other thread that you can pull on here because the mm. Doctor stuff is interesting. Uh, it's just not enough of it. Yeah, look, Martha is is look, 
this is Martha's season, ultimately. This last well, this story. <laughs> it, yeah, it has to be her season. It's the only one she's been in. Yeah. <laughs> you know? Um, and this is sort of her story in a roundabout way. Um, so, yeah, I think that's a good place to start. And, like, goes without saying, Freeman Adjaman is such a trooper because, like, if I were her and I got this script, I'd be like, you fuckers, <laughs> what's going on? <laughs> um, but truly, uh, Martha, 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 Martha yeah, gets for, a lot of good... For the last time this season, Martha, oh, Martha, Martha. <laughs> truly. Until we see her again in, like, what, four episodes? Yeah. Yeah. Um, um, I don't mind Martha here. I don't think that anything is particularly egregious about her presence in this story. It's just the same problems we've seen through her entire season in that, like, moments that should be more about her, moments that should center her are, you know swept aside in favor of something else and the best example we we talked about half of this earlier in the episode is the master doctor phone conversation because that's preceded by martha on the phone to her brother telling him to like get out of town because her whole family's been rounded up and arrested and then the master intercepts the call and i really oh god i love freema adjaman's like scream down the phone like you let let them let them go but mm. then the doctor just grabs the phone from her and he's like Fuck off. <laughs> it's my turn now. <laughs> and it is, I mean, that's, that's a really good way of describing the writing in this episode. I think it's just like, oh, it's my turn now with the, the focus. Um, Truly. Yeah. is a, sh- a shame. Um, so, yeah, like we, we've had like this running arc throughout the season of Martha's mum sort of working with the government to try to, like, I guess, lure Martha back to Earth in an attempt to trap the doctor, um, which, we, you know, we've had our criticisms of um, throughout the season. You can go back and listen to them. And so it culminates here with... Um, you know, there's a more forceful attempt to have it done this time. This time her dad has been pulled into the situation as well. Um, except when push comes to shove, you know, Martha being smart uh, on the phone with him is like, you know, dad, if someone else is there, like say something now, you know, of course he does. And he warns her. And so they go to try to stop this from happening. And as they get there, like her family is literally being loaded into the back of a van by SWAT it's, men. Mm, it's, that image. Right? It's such a dark image. And like, and it's what we talked about before where you take a single element like that and you're like, oh, okay, that should be your story. Like, if you want to do a dystopian London under, like, the boot heel, there it is. Like, go and mm. focus on that, especially, especially having a black woman, you know, sort of leading that story and a black family having to deal with the brunt of that. You want to talk about the ways that RTD could criticize the power systems in the UK? It was right in front of him. Um, and like you said... That scene culminates, they run away, you know, uh, I think the master calls Martha to kind of like gloat or whatever. And then, yeah, the doctor's like, oh, no, that's for me, actually. And then it's just forgotten. Martha's family just becomes another victim of this pe- episode's pacing. You're, yeah, you're absolutely right. They get, they get eaten up by the this, like, desire to just keep going, going, going. And you just, you reminded me of something then that I f- completely forgot about, which is that... Yeah, that thread of that this whole season has been about Francine being duped into helping the master to get Martha here. Mm. Um, but then that that plan ultimately comes to nothing because they come to Earth anyway, you know? 
And uh, yeah, so yeah. it doesn't really matter that that happened. And when the doctor does arrive on the scene as they're being arrested, they just shoot at him. There's no, there's no thought. And this is, I think, a, a big RTD fault as well. Is there's no thought to the wider arc of your season. And his idea of an arc for the last two years has been to say a word, <laughs> like a few episodes every now and again. Um, and so the idea of this. Uh, shadowy plot in this season whilst you know it's done better elsewhere I was still in it like I was still enthused about but yeah like this ep- this last story would have happened whether that had all taken place or not and I think that's really frustrating that nothing that has come before really matters about this story no and uh, you know there's no room for like there's no scene where Martha and her mother get to have a conversation about the fact that her mother didn't trust her you know like there's there's no resolution mm. given to these arcs because they're not actually arcs like Martha's family are strictly a plot device in a way that um, Rose and Jackie was certainly not you know like Jackie was like a fully fleshed out character in those seasons um, mm. and Martha's entire family um, especially Tish who we'll probably get to in a second uh, is like literally just exists to move the structure of the story forward. And um, yeah. Sorry, I keep interrupting you. There you go. Um, and you're right, you know, and Tish is a perfect example of that because so in the in the, the timeline, I guess, of present day for this season, it's been a week maybe possibly um, since Martha first left in the TARDIS. Uh, there's no real date given to when this story takes place. Um, mm. But we can assume it's been a week since she left in Smith and Jones. And so that means Tish has been through like three fucking jobs since (laughs) that story took place. And like that in and of itself is a problem, but then also it introduces that element to say like, what's Tish doing in master's government? How will the master use Tish? And then in halfway through the episode, it's just like, Oh, arrest her. Take her out. Just take her out. She's not in the story anymore. She's not important. And exactly, oh, it's such a wasted. It's such a like, wasted opportunity. I am getting so frustrated talking about so this story. Worst of all, as well, I find with the Tish stuff is that specifically following on from the criticisms we had with Tish um, in the Lazarus experiment, in which a creepy oh. old man was sexist towards her, and then he got younger, not attractive, younger, um, and you know, suddenly, uh, oh, you know. He's cute, actually. Maybe I'm going to give him a second chance or whatever. Now, Tish is working for the Prime Minister of the UK, right? Her first day on the job, it seems like, introducing herself to him, right? Being all like, oh, I'm, I'm here to serve, here to you know, do whatever needs to be done. He's like, why don't you just stand there and look pretty? And, like, touches her face. And she's like, oh, wow. Yeah. And it's like, what, what, is, what is Tish's <laughs> characterization? It's just so cruel. And I love... I, I love... But which I mean, I hate. Um, in the back of that scene is Lucy just like smiling, like, oh gosh, aren't you lucky? Aren't you just a lucky mm. girl? And it's like, am I on a different planet now? Is this okay? Yeah. It's really, really odd. Um, and it, it just speaks to, it's the same with like Martha's dad is not really a character. Leo is barely a character. Um, Martha's mum should have been a character, especially like that phenomenal performance. Um, but it, uh, by the end of things um, so we're going to jump ahead a little bit here to, to kind of wrap up talking about Martha's family I think but they get captured they get bored aboard the uh, the military aircraft to sort of you know see the master's master plan and whatnot. and then when we flash forward a year um, 
it cuts to this black family in maid garbs um, serving the master. And it's just one of those things where, like the family of blood two-parter, I just can't help but wonder if they should have been a little bit more careful with the imagery that they deployed with Martha and her family um, in the way that you talked about back then with like them sort of like colorblind writing. Um, because, you know, you put Jackie in a maid outfit, it, it has a very different connotation to putting um, Martha's family in them. Um, mm. and the whole family as well. It's a very slave type it is image. It, it it absolutely is um and it's i i i don't know if it's intentional that's the thing this episode is so unfocused on what it's trying to say that you have no idea if they're even aware of half the things that they're doing with the imagery well, um and oh no it's just funny because the master the character the master is written in such a way that they say homophobic misogynistic racist things mm. like through the episode and they're the villain so you have to assume that like it's all done with the intention to critique those things i just don't think it's a very sensitive way of doing it i think it's a very look at us look how shocking this is way of mm. doing it you know instead of a thoughtful exploration of what that would actually mean to these people well exactly but to do that you'd need to make them people um, and RTD just isn't interested in doing that. Like, that's just yeah. kind of like the bare bones of this problem. Um, you know, and uh, for me, it culminates in its worst moment when, you know, Martha's been roaming the planet for a year and she's had no contact and sort of doesn't know what's going on on that ship, right? And then uh, the master hears that she's back in the UK and so he sends out like a, a telegraph to all the, the, the a telegraph, a, a thing to all the screens in the world so that she can see it or whatever. Um, and... On that screen, in the camera frame, she sees her family dressed like that. She sees the doctor who gets, like, rapidly uh, uh, aged yeah. even further into his little golem form. Um, and she's standing there, and it cuts to Martha watching this, and she's like, ah, the doctor's alive. And that's it. That's her only reaction to that that mm. sort of display of information. And I just find it so galling that her first response isn't, my family is alive. It just speaks to me that, like, he... I just don't think Russell gave much consideration at all to Martha's internal workings unless they specifically related to the Doctor. No, no. And I think this also is a great way to talk about Martha's actual role in this story, which goes back yeah. to something we picked on in Gridlock, which is that Martha is the doting disciple of Doctor Who's yeah. universe. And... Nowhere is that better sort of explained than in the scene where she's so she's come back to England and she goes to a like a, a workhouse, I guess, where the, the some of like hundreds of people mm. have been jammed into these houses in some town somewhere. Um, and everyone's like, you know, oh, is it true? Are you Martha? Are you the Martha Jones? You're the one that will kill the master and all that stuff. And then so she's like, no, I want to talk to them. And the first thing, I think one of the things, the first thing she says to them is like, you know, I've traveled everywhere and there's this legend about me, but my name isn't important. What is important mm. is the doctor and he's saved your life so many times. And the annoying thing is like, that is true. That is definitely true that this is someone who's gone and uh, saved 
humanity a thousand times. Like in the DNA of the show, that is true. And I, there is something kind of nice about the, for me at least, about the way she says that. Like, you know, he never stops, he never stays, he never asks to be thanked. And there's the music underneath it and it's all acted and shot very nicely. It's just that this is not a character who has, who should be saying these lines. If it was coming out of Rose's mouth, I'd, I would believe it. And so Martha hasn't had that same journey with him. You know, she's been very much on the back foot and she has just from day one been like, I believe you, I trust you, I love you, all this stuff. And I hate that the show hasn't given Martha any consideration of a character in her own right and has just continued on this role of Rose as if Rose had never left the show, even though it makes us painfully aware of the fact that she has left all the time. And it's just, it feels so wrong for her to be saying those things, I think, out of her mouth. You know, and I don't, so like, it's weird because I don't mind the plot and I don't ultimately mind that, you know, it's using the themes of this season of collective human belief and will, like, making things manifest. Like, I I, I like those things on an artistic level uh, and a creative level. Um, it's just make it make sense, girl. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah, yeah. Find the character motivation, girl. And character motivation. <laughs> um, no, look, it's... I, I agree. Uh, so, you know, we said earlier that the last... Um, like, the conclusion of part one is genuinely good. And, you know, Martha teleporting out of a dangerous situation, but only being able to save herself. Um, despite the plot contrivance around that stuff, whatever, I can let that go. Um, it's a really emotive um, scene. You know, she she lands back on Earth. She's looking out over the city that's being overrun by the Toclophane. Uh, and she just looks up at the ship in the sky. And she's like, I'll be back. You know, and she just mm. turns off and starts running. So good. A phenomenal setup to... To what should have been Martha's part two. And I think the show thinks it's doing that in um, The Last of the Time Lords because, you know, it opens with Martha, you know, it's very much like, oh, the, the woman who roamed the earth and like, you know, she gets shit done and blah, blah, blah. Um, and that is true to an extent. I mean, it's all told, not shown, granted. Um, but whatever, that that's very Doctor Who. I can, again, I can accept that. What I can't accept is that scene that you're talking about where, you know, my name isn't the one that matters. Um, and then she goes, you know, he's brilliant. You know, he's one of the best men I've ever known and I love him. And then just to really, really drive it home, they do another flashback to when he kisses her and he doesn't notice her when he kisses her in the first episode. And she's left there looking dumbstruck by how much she liked being randomly kissed by this white guy. Mm. And I just, I... I find it to be such a galling and perfect encapsulation of the problem with Martha in that she is, uh, she, she exists to serve him as a character. She doesn't exist for herself. Um, and like you said, that made sense with Rose because of where Rose ends up with the doctor. I didn't like it there either, granted, but at least that was Rose's sort of arc. You know, everything was written about Rose to build up a dependency on the Doctor from the stuff with her dad, the stuff with her mum. Like, it's it's there with that character, right? That's it. With Martha, her baseline sort of like character traits and backstory and whatnot should establish a much more independent and clever woman than she is. Um, and the show was just consistently kneecapped her and made her subservient to him. Um, whether it's romantically, um, or like literally it's just, 
I hate it. <laughs> basically <laughs> is where I've landed on this. Um, and to have this be Martha's last story, to have her literally roam the earth alone for a year and have it culminate in a moment where globally everyone's like, doctor, it just breaks my yeah. heart for her. Especially because uh, I can't shake the feeling that if the roles were reversed and it actually was Rose, she might have gotten that role. She might have gotten that role of everyone shouting Rose, Rose or something. I don't know. But Mm. that's a far bigger conversation. yeah, I mean, it is, but I do think RTD did, I mean, you look at the way that, even by the end of season one, like, Rose took the time vortex into herself. Like, he wrote Rose as a very dominant godlike figure from the get-go. Like, he, he liked, he really liked Rose, you know? Like, well, I don't think anyone can deny that. Um, and I'm not saying he doesn't like Martha. It just feels weird that between Rose's seasons and then Donna's season, especially coming up, Martha is the one that gets this very subdued, uh, small-scale victory for herself. Um, And the two white women that flank her mm. get astonishingly big stories. She doesn't ever get a chance to carve out space for herself. And I think that's really... I think that's really sad. I think it's really sad. Um, and yeah, I hate, I hate that I'm at this point now, you know, um, um, I don't know. I just hate how the top of like last of the time Lords misdirects you to think that she'll be more important to that ending than she is. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because that ending is, yeah. God, God. I know. That's the thing, like, like, folks, like, we're talking over each other here because it's just, um, we're, we're aware of the, the fact that this is the last time we're going to talk about Martha and, um, going out like this, uh, mm. really, really hurts both of us because, um, it just sucks. <laughs> you know, Freema Adjaman was subjected to so much racism because of this. Um, and, you know, e- even the idea, it's, it's a very well worn, unfortunate, problem with a lot of fiction that um shows often introduce a black character who is seen to be taking the place of a favorite white character um and there's so many tropes and Mm. problems that uh martha and freema both had to sort of experience and go through and so for the end product to be this lifeless a characterization um i it yeah it, it just sucks it does suck. It sucks as well because it's it's relatively recent. You know, it's only two thousand seven. This went out, and mm. it will be a very long time until we get another person of color as a companion as well. Yeah. Um, which doesn't make up for it, but you know, I think you and I both are on the same page when we talk about Bill and all the things they get yeah. right with Bill. Very um, much. Bill, and then, you know, again with um, uh, Ryan and with Yaz, you know, mm. I know that we've complained about their characterization as well, but I at least think that that is just, uh, that writing with the, with those two new companions just isn't quite as good, but I do think they have individual characters. Um, Martha's character is just lost in the shuffle. Truly. Truly. Martha's character is Freem Adjaman, uh, and the energy yes, and the exactly. charisma that they bring to that role and I I uh, could not applaud her more for a more thankless task. Um yeah. There is obviously 
the matter of her leaving, but I do think we should leave that to the end of the episode. Um, yeah, yeah, okay, we, we can we can wrap that up at the end there. Mm. Um, the I guess the other big thing here is obviously this is also another season finale for David Tennant, um, and mm. it <laughs> yields some very interesting results. <laughs> Yeah, I can't remember. Did you like him in this one or not? <laughs> I um I think he's fine through most of it. Uh, I think the scenes where he gets to interact with the master as himself, not as Golem David Tennant, are some of his best acting. And that culminates in the scene where the master gets shot and he refuses to regenerate and dies in the doctor's arms. And mm. the doctor's crying screams about that genuinely moved me. I, I thought that was David Tennant's finest hour in the role so here's the thing about yeah I, I agree with you here's the thing about like this story is that like there are those moments where like not just the acting and writing but the direction the composition the the music i actually would love to talk just briefly about the music in this story at a later point um like all culminate to make a very not perfect but very very good moment and that's one the i think we've talked about before but like the composition of the ending of uh sound of drums is another one um the scene with the master talking about the toclophane is another one that i would put up there even if the writing and the exposition is quite bad in that scene and uh yeah yeah I think that it's funny because, like, those scenes reveal some kind of brilliance for the people involved in it, um, in making it, I mean, um, to sort of shine through, especially for David Tennant and for John Sim, who are a bit patchy in other areas. But, you know, I, I think are solid actors in their own right. And, yeah, definitely yeah. David Tennant is um, giving what the script's demanding in this story. Uh, yeah, yeah, I, I, I agree. Um, my reaction to Tennant's performance, uh, I guess on the whole so far, just really does boil down to an episode by episode basis because mm. sometimes I find him really frustrating. Other times I think he's pretty good. And most of the time I find him just to be existing in the, in the space. Um, mm. I, that's why like, I, I think Freema Adjaman again deserves so much praise because the way that she she brings an intensity to the first episode, especially um, mm. uh, that he is sorely missing. Um, he doesn't get fired up enough about what's going on. Um, and so, yeah, to have Freeman Adam sort of like boosting those scenes and giving them that real like in uh, urgency, basically, um, I, I think really works. Acting aside, I think the characterization of the Doctor here is um, another fascinating point because, as we said before, his main focus for this sort of two-parter is not necessarily the redemption of the Master, but the um, uh, the, the saving of him, you know, the saving of his soul, as you said before. Um, and I find that to be 
a very, very good character motivation for this Doctor, you know, being alone after the, the Time Lords are all gone. I think it makes sense that, you know, even if the next one he meets is, you know, the Joker, uh, that he would want to try to save that person. Um, but I, again, also think that it is a untapped source of drama in that the Master subjects humanity to some really horrific stuff here. And the humans in the story never get to question the doctor being like, no, 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 he's my responsibility. You don't get a say in how this goes down. Um, and it's mm. the culmination of his gatekeeping aristocrat behavior and also the culmination of the fact that this season doesn't give much consideration to the humans around him. Yeah, it doesn't. It This is... This whole season has been the doctor's story from day one and this, this story makes no exception to that fact. It... It really irked me in the scene where they're watching the master uh, get Martha's family from the van and they put them on the plane and take them up to the the valley and whatever the thing is. And, like, Martha's just, like, standing there watching her family be arrested by this maniac (laughs) and Mm. she can't do anything. And the doctor... I never get the feeling like the doctor particularly cares about that no he's singularly focused on the master here and again that could have been an interesting point of contention you know martha's story ultimately wraps up here with a a statement of independence Uh, you know if that had been fed by i just watched you fundamentally ignore my needs it could have been much more powerful Mm. but that never happens because he never gets brought up on anything no no that's it this era of the show is not remotely interested in criticizing the doctor that happens next season. <laughs> and it's funny because, like, it does it. Oh, I suppose uh, it does. Yeah. H- having watched season four recently, um, Donna's attitude towards the Doctor is everything I wanted for Martha. Yeah. Yeah, no, fair enough. That's very true. Um, I just, yeah, obviously, <laughs> the dramatist in me is like, I could just, like, go further. Do more. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. Always. But maybe that's <laughs> never going to happen in Doctor Who. I mean, that's um, what happens when Clara shows up, so... Ooh, of course it does. Ooh, Clara. Ooh. <laughs> <laughs> what was that? Oh, anyway. Um, I like... But this story just needs it so desperately because, like, I like... Even if they don't realise they're doing this, I like that the, the Doctor's hubris at the very start of their life in the Christmas invasion, when they took down Harriet Jones creates the power vacuum that the master then slots into in this episode to then mm. go on and create the doctor's worst nightmare by de-aging him, subjugating earth, um, you know, killing the last of humanity, like very explicitly anti-doctor nightmare world he creates. And none of that is just worth exploring apparently in this story. Like it's, bonkers yeah. it's bonkers because it's like this is what i'm saying about how it like edges up to brilliance and then shies away because it, it's all there it's just all there and i'm gonna use what you say it's like it, all the pieces are on the board but they're not being played right <laughs> but it's like it's more like if somebody like took a piece off the board and threw it in the bin and was like yeah specifically that's the my piece move. that they saw you eyeing off and they were like oh no don't look at that <laughs> yeah yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mm. yeah. 
I know. And um, I think this is something you and I have talked about a fair bit this season. Um, you know, uh, truly a season of missed opportunities. Um, and it, it just comes to comes to a head in, in this two-parter. Um, uh, yeah. Mm. <laughs> it's frustrating, isn't it, that this is how this conversation is? Because, like... This is a story that I feel like I should be more enthusiastic about because this is mm. this is the story of the doctor for the very first time in his in this era of the show encountering another person of his race. It is so significant and that significance isn't lost on me. But like you talking about how much you enjoyed that last the scene with David Tennant crying over the master's body. Like I do know what you mean and I felt that too like his anguish at being the last of his race again and again like all the things in that scene added up to make that point and that f- emotion very deeply felt but that's what this story should have been about it should have been about the doctor wanting his friend back but even though the doctor says he wants to save him he never really attempts to reform him and the master shows no sign of wanting it and like that struggle that should have been there should have been <laughs> should have been this story you know yeah. Um and it's it's there but it's it's sandwiched in amongst all this other stuff that RTD like puts unnecessary focus on. Oh, sorry. I have got to I'll bring myself back. <laughs> I'll bring myself no, back. No, like that's it's that's kind of it though. Like um there's there's a couple of other things we obviously are very excited to talk about this episode, but um the the main thrust of this conversation is gonna be this frustrated loop that we are now caught in when we talk about it, where bring up a point, get to the end of that point, and then be like, I just I don't know, man. <laughs> you know? I know. Um, it's it's exhausting. Um le- okay, let's pick another specific. Um let's talk about Lucy. Let's talk about Lucy. Let's talk about Lucy. Um, let's talk about the fact that there's a like a warp doctor companion relationship going on there. Let's talk about the fact that she is gets two lines, I think, in the second episode. Uh, yes. <laughs> yeah. So Lucy, I find interesting because, like you said, it's a warped doctor companion relationship, and that sentence alone is like that's that's a story. Oh, that, that's truffles to me. Like that is, that's, that's, that's rich. That's delicious. That's, that's exa- everything I want. Right. <laughs> um, and yet it's just not there. Like it's, it's a very surface level take on that. I think there's one fantastic scene with Lucy in, I, I think it's part two. Um, it is part two. So, you know, when the master is revealing to the doctor what the toclophane are, uh, right before that, Lucy is present in this scene as well. And he's just like, you know, so I took my my faithful companion to the end of the universe. I showed her the end of everything. And then Lucy's just there with this like despondent, vacant kind of like vibe. And she's like, I saw the end of everything and I realized how absolutely pointless life is. And so she just gave herself over to the chaos of this, this like force of evil. Mm. That is really interesting. Um, I think that if you wanted to explore the story of almost like a, like a negative Rose, you know, like she's like, you know, a, a beautiful young blonde woman who, you know, was swept away by a brilliant man, but instead of being shown the best of the galaxy shows her the worst of it and what that did to her is really fascinating, especially in the the mirror parallel of them both, you know, somewhat falling in love with these men. Um, but then all of that character work 
is kind of done away with after that one scene in the second episode. And there's like, I think there's one scene where she's got a black eye and then another one where she doesn't like, (laughs) it feels like they just did not know what to do with her. And so instead of giving a, a woman villainous agency, they instead make her this like despondent abuse victim, but without actually making the story about how there's an abuse victim in the room. It's so frustrating. (laughs) It goes back to, I think, the conversation we're having about uh, Martha's family. It's all all of these very touchy conversations. Touchy is the wrong word, but you know what I mean? Like, they're, they are awkward. We are just at the forefront of actually talking about them openly in the public. Conversations, um, all these issues um, are treated as set dressing to the... To, mm this story of the master and like are treated as examples of why he is a bad person. Uh, but not look, it's bad because we, there is no motivation for the master. So it's just violence for violence sake, which is a, I, I don't like, um, Mm. but yeah, at the same time, it's, um, yeah, it, it, it's a way to prove that like the master is a bad person as opposed to, what I think you and I just naturally seek in media, which is like, if you're going to abuse somebody, at least let them talk about that. At least let them have a fucking say. Yeah. Don't just... Like, at least let her be a character. Yes, exactly. Um, and if you're not going to do that, don't do it. Because... Yeah. It, you can... There are <laughs> other cleaner and, I think, just like socially like better ways of showing that you don't even need to because the master is, is a bad person. We know he is. He, he just by killing Chanto last week, we know he's a bad person. Mm. Yeah. It's, it's weird that they also felt the need to include this like edgy, oh, what if the ultimate representation of evil in Doctor Who, it's basically like, what if a Dalek was also an incel? Like, they don't need to also be sexist and racist or and homophobic. Like it's such a strange thing to include. It's indulgent. And like you said, it, yeah, it's, it's indulgent. And if you're going to do it, it needs to be the focus. Like, mm. you know, you could make that a critique of humanity basically. Um, but he, he doesn't, it, it's just another one of those like ideas that's like tossed on the heap um, and so gets lost in the, the fray. This is a very specific yeah, this is a very specific point, and it's one worth bringing up in relation to the Toclophane for this episode. Mm. Because they... I, I said this to you at length before um, about how much... How uncomfortable I am about the Toclophane concept, even though it is a great gothic concept um, for, the, for the future of humanity to come back and slaughter their ancestors. It just feels so dark in a way that I don't that Doctor Who isn't for me it this is that feels very un Doctor Who it felt very Torchwood to me (laughs) yeah truly actually that's a good point um but there's a line so when the master's explaining like he went to the utopia and he found that humanity had cannibalized themselves and turned them into themselves into toclophane and he promised them humanity but then at the very end of this conversation he says he just says offhandedly like human race greatest monsters of them all and it's like what are you what are you fucking saying russell what are you saying like with having him have this line of like 
Because it's not like, oh, maybe humans are monsters. No, humans are in a very fucking desperate situation and, like, turned on themselves. They are worthy of pity, not, like, judgment. Um, Mm. And, like, again, it's coming out of the master's mouth, so it's not something we're supposed to take as, like, a, a... we know it's a bad thought to have for lack of a, like a better way of putting that. Um, but it still just like speaks to like the very like mumbled, uh, (laughs) view on humanity. This episode takes because like, I just, I, I, that the Toklafen concept just, I feel like just shouldn't be here in this story. And if it is going to be here, it needs to be redeemed, but we leave them. We end this story with full knowledge that our end is to turn on ourselves, turn ourselves into like psychopathic little balls. Uh, and that's our end. Like, it's just so dark. I'm actually getting angry yeah, talking about it. You know, make sure you remember not before we believe in the doctor so much, he becomes Jesus. <sighs> well, <sighs> and that's the other thing like that. ending. <sighs> you know, um, the collective consciousness, collective belief idea is very Russell. And like, I, I respect it, but it's not even collective belief in ourselves. It's not belief in Martha. It's Mm. belief in a time Lord. It's belief in a, in a God. And so, and that God literally rises up. It like folks, it is bonkers. He rises up in a white light. It's insane. Anyway, he gets resurrected. It's, it's purely biblical. Purely biblical. Um, and so, yeah, the end of the story is about us, you know, needing to have faith in a higher power to save ourselves. The master is ultimately proven right in that, you know, the uh, end of humanity is to turn inward, butcher ourselves, and then anything else that lies in our path. Um, it's bleak in a way that says nothing. It's just edgy bleak. Mm. Um, and, you know, we bring up Children of Earth a lot on this, on this podcast because it is such a impressive uh contrast uh to these kinds of stories in particular where that story is bleak that that is a dark dark bit of writing from russell but it's saying a lot it it's got all of the stuff that i think he's trying to do here it's got political parody it's got human critique it's it's got everything in it right um and then you look at this two-parter which again yeah two-parter done in a kid's show as well and to your point maybe the toclophane just didn't belong in here um because they might be too heavy a concept the look of them alone is revolting Mm. and it's so unnecessarily cruel to make the toclophane that martha encounters out of all the Billions and billions of Toclophane she encounters. She has to encounter the one that was a little kid in Utopia. Uh, no. See, I used to think that was the case as well. Um, it, the Toclophane that she talks to says, we share a consciousness. Uh, his memories are my memories. So, like, it's not actually him, but his memories have just been catalogued away in the, um, like, the Toclophane conscious. Oh, shut my mouth then. I know, look at me knowing something you didn't about Doctor Who. <laughs> um, but yeah, like the, so the Toclophanes are these like little floating orbs and then they finally pop one open and it's it's like this wilted, milky-eyed f- human face inside that it's like a prosthetic. It's so disgusting to look at. Stunning. Like, don't get me wrong, this is a really impressive bit of design. Um, but again, it just... It feels like that should have been the focus. Like, again, all of these elements should have been the focus. And hmm. ugh, whatever. I, I I said I, I said to Callum before we started recording this tonight that I was just like, I don't know what I want to say about this. Mm. I feel overwhelmed by 
how much I want to say and also don't want to say. Like, I, I am, I'm not mad at this episode. I'm not even disappointed with it. I just want to move on. <laughs> I know what you mean. And we, we do get this way when we come to the end of a series because I think you and I are both inherently like what's around the corner kind of people. Like, we like yeah looking forward. Um, and we're very much looking forward to season four. Um, but it has been a pattern of us by way of what the show's put on our plate uh, to come to an end of a season and be like, oh, is it over yet? Um, yeah. I'm not happy about that and by any means, but I know I share your feelings. I share your feelings. And I like, there is a lot of, not a lot, but there is good stuff here. Like I said before, I think Murray Gold's suite of music for this episode is great, especially the, like, the Gallifrey music he uses. Um, I remember as a kid, like, listening to that on repeat, because uh, I thought it was really deep. Um, <laughs> I really liked it. The cannibalized TARDIS, the Paradox Machine, is a great oh, image gorgeous. and idea. Yeah. Um, yeah. The art direction in general over this two-parter is, is pretty spot on. So good. And we've talked about it before, but, like, that splitting sky effect with the descending toclophane is, like, seared into my brain. And I remember watching that finale as a kid and being like, what is going to happen next? I just had no idea. But I also remember being very broken by it um, because there's a lot of slaughter. And I, I, I do thank God that Davies didn't do this kind of slaughterish episode again. And... You know, I think season four in a lot of ways can be viewed as a, it, uh, a rejection of this season. Would you agree? Uh, yeah, especially as it characterizes the Doctor. Um, yeah. There is, like, it, season three sees him ascend to be Space Jesus, uh, and season four just utterly dismantles him by the end. Um, it's mm. my favorite season of Tenant's Doctor for sure, because it finally becomes self-aware of the ego that, uh, you know, RTD and Tenant and the character itself seem to all be imbuing in it. Um, but that, that's, you know, a bit further down the road. Um, I can't think of a better way to wrap up our conversation of season three than to talk about Martha's exit though. We've talked about this dear listener offline a lot. And I just got to say, up front, James is going to criticize this. <laughs> elements of it. Just elements of it. Elements of it. But I love just about everything about Martha's exit scene. And I, I truly find it faultless. Now, I have a dot by dot, point by point reason for this. Do you want me to go through it or is that too much? Um, I mean, if you can find a way to make it conversational, like we're on a podcast, that would be nice. Mm. <laughs> it's, it's, yeah, that'll be tough, but I'll try. Um, <laughs> no, I don't know. I just, I really fucking love it. I, for starters, David Tennant's thank you. Like when he says thank you to Martha, when he realizes that she's not coming with him anymore, uh, followed by the hug, like where he's staring into space. It reminds me a lot of that, like never trust a hug scene from, um, mm. from, the, the Peter Capaldi story. Uh, yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, because this is a doctor, like, this is a doctor that will keep going and never stop, even when he's being dishonest, um, because it's better than being alone kind of thing. Um, and it, I, I love that thank you as well, because, like, I feel like there's purpose in, like, how kind of perfunctory uh, 
it is. It, because, like, this is a season of him, like, essentially getting over, I'm using air quotes, getting over Rose, even though he doesn't really get over Rose. And so, that by the end of that ending, like, has he healed? Is it, like... Is it revealing in its seeming insincerity this, like, thank you that he gives to Martha? Is it intentional? Like, I don't know. What are mm. your thoughts? Um, yes and no. I think he thanks her in the way you thank a co-worker. Um, and that that's my sort of my biggest gripe here is that, again, all of the emotional thrust of that scene comes from Freema Adjaman. Um, I think that if, if Tennant had deployed half the emotion that he put into his John Sims scenes with her goodbye scene, uh, you could have had something really special here. But I just get the impression that this Doctor... It's just kind of like, I don't know, every time we see the Doctor left alone by a companion, it's always like a thing. You know, the Doctor like has a real moment over it. And here it just feels kind of like an inevitable, oh, well, you're done now. Um, I, I, mm. uh, yeah, I, I don't know. I, it just, it doesn't fully work for me from his point of view. Like, yeah, I, I, I'm trying really hard to sort of interpret this <laughs> in a way that at least wraps up some of the themes of this season. But yeah, I, I also see your point and don't necessarily agree mm. it's all intentional on the showrunner's part um it it's funny because like i also can't help but think forward to when he does the same thing when he thinks donna's leaving in the Santaran two-parter and then mm. he's like oh you're just going home aren't you and then you're going to come back because i love i love that that skewers like it's it's skewering what he's doing here they're like thank you you've been amazing in sincerity yeah. of it mm-hmm. like yeah uh, yeah i agree with that um, so Martha says her goodbye, she kisses him, she leaves, and this would be enough. But if she weren't a braver character, she might have just kept going. But I do love that she turns back, and I love that she doesn't let, uh, the Doctor get away with the way that he's treated her over this season. Um, and I love that she turns back, not for him necessarily, but entirely for herself, which leads to the get-out speech, which is my favourite bit of Russell writing. Um, it- it's just kind of perfect. And I say that, that line to myself, the, um, this is me getting out a lot in personal kind of situations. Um, mm. because I think there's a lot of power in, I think there's a lot of power in what Martha's doing in that, like, she is like saying what she needs. She's saying what she wants. She's doing it. And she's also like deciding the terms of the relationship that they're going to have ongoing in her own terms. And this is the other thing I really love is like no other companion after they've left has demanded that the doctor revisit them and then had it happen as well. Most of them just leave and the doctor never visits them again. That was entirely the point of um, Sarah Jane, like the school reunion story is that he never came back for her kind of thing. Mm. But like Martha here is like, here's my phone. When that rings, you got to come back and see me. And we know from next season, he does that. So, I feel like she demands a lot of respect and earns it from the Doctor, even if she shouldn't have had to go through all those hoops to get it. Um, I just, I, this is saying a lot about Martha's, like, strength as a character and, like, her, her yeah, like, her personal strength uh, that I really draw a lot of strength myself from kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I also just I think that's sorry. I also just really like uh Francine when Martha like leaves the TARDIS through the window, like mouthing like she's coming back. Uh I just think it's like such a simple and beautiful like 
joyful little moment. Yeah, I, I agree. Uh, I think that's a very uh, lovely little blip. Um, I I don't disagree with, with anything you're saying necessarily. Like from an emotional point of view, I, I definitely vibe with what you're putting down here. Um, and I do think the this is me getting out is one of the best companion lines. Mm-hmm. Um, my, my issue remains, and I mean, will always remain with Martha, that the lead up to that moment isn't as substantial as it needs to be. There's not enough work done to make that as satisfying as her delivery of it is for me. Um, yeah. And I also find the, the reduction of their dynamics problems to, uh, you don't want to fuck me. So I'm leaving, uh, is, uh, not, at all what I want from this show. Um, I, I think it is, um, it's too simple. It's too clean. Uh, it's, there's not enough said to the doctor in this moment. Um, there's not enough said by Martha about herself in this moment. Um, I, I don't know. Like I, I think Freema Adjaman does an amazing job. Um, I like the concept of her saying, I spent a long time with you thinking I was second best, but I'm not. And I know that now, and I'm going to stay here and help the people I love. I love all of that. Um, I still just, mm. I'm forever salty that uh, her self-worth is uh, tied to the romantic arc as well. I can't disagree with anything you're saying. I just, I, 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 I'm a bit blinded to what you're saying because I want to see the good in this, in this last, just a bit of grace at the end for Martha, basically. But you're absolutely right. You are absolutely right. Ultimately. And and the thing is like, and I said this to you before we recorded, like, I think the grace for her at the end is her first goodbye speech to him, which yes, is shorter and it's a bit more blunt, but it's also stylistically meant it's filmed that way so that she gets to have that come back into the TARDIS moment. Right. But I think the stuff she's talking about at first, when she's like, I can't leave, you can't show me what we've just been through. You can't subject me to the year that I've just had. And expect me to just fuck off with you again. Like, Mm. I've got so much I need to rebuild about myself on this planet. But that's not the thrust of what is going on in that scene. Like, they make it the side note to the, you don't want to date me. Um, Yeah. And if you flipped those, I would be much more in favour of everything that happens here. Yeah. Yeah. That's that's an episode systemic problem of just not really caring much for Martha's family and using them as a that emotional kind of cliche crutch to get to yeah the story beat you want to get to um yeah pretty much like uh, and again um to fix Martha is a season long fix of Martha unfortunately like you can't fix it in the last episode um and I just <laughs> just have to make my peace with that mm. and look when Martha comes back it's not any better necessarily. I think she's a lot wiser for what she's gone through. Um, but that obviously remains to be seen. The Martha that we leave mm. here, at least I feel like is healing. And that's good because, you know, we <laughs> ultimately took a character who didn't need much healing and screwed her mm. around through the course of this season. Um, 
Um, uh, yes. Like, she was broken by him mm. as opposed to being sort of, like, needing him in her life to begin with. Mm. Um, and I just, I can't help but think that, like, you know, she gets, like, the, the speech is good. Like, it's, it's a well-written speech, right? The whole, you know, I had this friend, uh, she pined after this guy for ages, and I always told her, get out, you've got to get out because you're wasting your life while he's not looking at you. So this is me getting out, right? Love it, love it. I would have really liked it if at the end of that, she'd been like, but it's more than just that you don't see me. It's that you don't consider me. Do you know what I mean? And whether that's, you know, his refusal to let anyone else handle the master situation, the way he treated her uh, after the family of blood thing, the way that that's never addressed in the, in the text, um, the, the Rose stuff constantly being brought up. Like there is so much that they could have drawn upon at the end there to be like, hey, this might have started as me pining after you, but it's developed into a bigger problem in that I want to be your friend, but you are physically incapable of you know, comprehending me as an independent person. Um, and I think that that is definitely subtext, but it's, I'm just having to do a lot of heavy lifting for it. You know, that's this podcast. I'm afraid James, we do a lot of heavy lifting for the show. Yeah, I know, but we shouldn't have to like at a certain point, we should be allowed to expect better from this show. This is his third season. Um, and I'm really glad we've only got one more to deal with, honestly. I, yeah, I hate I hate that feeling. I'm sad to be almost at the end of it, personally. Um, yeah, I get what you're saying. Yeah, this is probably a good Look, point for us side. to um to just consider, I guess, season three as a whole because, like, here we are, end of season three. Yeah, end of another season. Oh, speaking of uh, landmarks for things, technically we've got our year anniversary coming up. We just published our 30th episode last week and we didn't note it at all during the episode that that's what we were doing. Um, You know, we're all over the place, but time is passing. Like we've we've talked about a lot of Doctor Who. (laughs) We have, we have 30 episodes, 30 episodes are strong. We, what was was the date our first episode went out? Because we missed that too, didn't we? Uh, yeah, I mean, like, we, we've definitely missed our year anniversary because um, our Rose and Introductions episode went up in April, and we are recording this on the 30th of April. So I guess a belated happy anniversary to Two Hearts Podcast. We made it through a full year. Um, we are fundamentally different people than when we started, and our relationship with Doctor Who is all over the place now. Mm, severely fucked, I would say. Uh, yes. Um... <laughs> But you know that's what it's like. <laughs> Season three, James. Oh, yeah. should we should we rate this episode first and then? Oh yeah, yeah. Um, uh, okay, so um, I'm gonna give uh, the sound of drums a C minus. Uh, I'm gonna give Last of the Time Lords a C minus. <laughs> uh, C minus definitely for sound of drums. D for last the time lords for me and probably like a c minus that's like like wily coyote like hanging in the air before going over into a d for the whole story right yep i i i can agree with that i can agree with that um i know that we don't i don't know if we did this for the uh seasons one and two but i guess if you were to give a a letter grading to season three of doctor who because you know i know that we've been like 
pretty critical this week, right? But the last couple of episodes that we've done, it's been so good to be excited about the show. Like Blink, mm. Utopia, that, that was a really good time there. Um, I, I liked the Dalek two-parter as well a fair bit. Like there's, there's a lot of good stuff in season three, but there's also a lot of bad. There's a lot of good stuff there is. And, you know, on a whole, it's probably like a, 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 a very comfortable B plus overall. Um, cause I definitely loved more than I hated. Um, I don't know if you can rate a season purely in a, in a letter because it, it's just, it's so peaky. It's so, there's just peaks and valleys. Yeah. Peaks and valleys. It's, it differs wildly week to week. Um, and yeah. it wouldn't be fully representative of my overall feelings of this season, which is very warm because it's, an era I hold in such high regard. Um, but yeah, like, I don't know. I don't think I can answer that. What about you? Mm, B minus. Came to that very quickly. <laughs> I did. Cause it was almost as if I've been thinking about it. Um, no, look, look, season three was, uh, uniquely frustrating and uniquely rewarding. Uh, Freema Adjaman remains an absolute highlight and a full blown queen. We, we adore huh. her work in this show. Um, I look forward to next season because I think that in season four, we finally get some uh, catharsis and some some pathos for the Doctor's characterization that's been bubbling mm. away but never actually been brought into the forefront. Um, and Donna is one of the best companions until they make a choice with her. And um, that's, a, that's a whole other thing we're going to deal with. Let, let's not even... Donna is great. Donna is great. That is a choice separate from Donna. I'm Yeah. They do almost do have to be considered separately. Yeah. Um in the same way that like uh, you know no oh no, I can't, I can't separate with Martha. Like I think I think Martha is like mm. the the problems with Martha that I've had with her this season have been like fundamentally baked into the character. Um it's a problem with the writing of the show during this era. Um and yeah, I I never want to be glad that something's done because I'm not enjoying not liking it. Um, I, I, I think that's like, it, if we were getting to the point on this show where like we were like gleeful in our criticism, I think that would be a genuine problem. Um, but all of our discomfort and our problems with the show at this point stem from the fact that one, we know how good it can be. And two, we want it to be that good because when Doctor Who is on, it is unlike anything else. Oh, truly, truly. That's why we do this podcast. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Season three. Season three is a season of solidification of a lot of Russell T's themes, um, and a solid a list. Uh, sorry, a solidification of a lot of his easy cliches that he falls into. It's a very yeah. dark season. It's which isn't something I think you should indulge particularly with Doctor Who. And I, I think that this is dangerously close to that indulgence. Um, for me, uh, even as much as I enjoy it on a week by week basis, like considering as a whole is just a bit like, Oh, what's going on here? Um, yeah. Season three, 
season three. <laughs> season three, not with not with a not with a bang, but with a whimper. Um, <laughs> thank you, everybody, for joining us <laughs> uh, for for the end of another season on uh, Two Hearts. Um, we are going to be back in two weeks' time um, with uh, the the fat episode. No, no. <gasps> oh no. Didn't yep. you forget the Titanic's in the TARDIS? We've got to figure out what's going on there. <laughs> oh, God. I, okay, 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 okay. I kind of wait for you to watch this story because, like, for some reason, James has a serious, like, desire to not watch any of the Christmas specials. And it really annoys me because they are such gold for me personally. And this one is fucking Kylie Minogue in it. So I don't know how you're not excited to watch it. Hmm. Anyway, uh, you can reach out to us and have your thoughts and feelings read on the show by emailing us at twoheartspodcast at gmail.com. That's two, the word two. Uh, we are also on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter at twoheartspod, the number two. If you want, you can find me on Twitter at omgmorejames. And you can find me on Twitter and Instagram at theatricalum. All right, folks, uh, stay safe, be kind to each other, and we will see you in two weeks' time. Bye.